Well, if there was ever some low-hanging fruit to preach, it's on John 3.16, right? I mean, it's, some, it's a scripture passage most of us have probably memorized since the time we were kids. We see people holding up signs at sporting events and weddings and, no, I don't, I don't know if it's ever been at weddings or not, but uh, certainly at sporting events. Um, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is truly an amazing gift from God. And we're going to look at that passage uh, in the the context of John chapter 3, 11 through 24 as we continue the sermon series of giving up, forgetting more. This new concept that Jesus is explaining to the people is that they are having to give up their old way of thinking, their old perspectives in order or in light of the living God through Jesus Christ. A belief now is is belief enough to be saved. Is faith truly all that we need now to be saved? When I was little, I came to faith in God and believed that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. I believed God existed, and I prayed the prayer of salvation over and over again just to make sure that I was really saved, but is it truly faith alone? And then I came across James chapter 2, 19 through 20, which was convicting. It says, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person... Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? So then maybe there's a debate, sort of. Paul is very clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that it is for grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that Anybody can boast so that no one can boast, right? So it is clear, right? Salvation happens through faith, uh, through God's grace, through faith. And James is saying that you must have your, your life emulate or at least work out your faith now through works. There is a connection. There is a connection. What is the connection? The connection is transformation, We would expect that there would be some sort of change in our lives after encountering the living God. So the question isn't necessarily, uh, have we placed faith in God? Maybe the question might need to be, uh, are we willing to now surrender our lives over to the care of Jesus, right? We have faith in Christ, and now we need to surrender our lives to Jesus. Lo, our actions demonstrate the faith that we have, and it is the faith alone in which we receive eternal life. Either God is going to save us completely on our own, or on his own, sorry, on his own, that totally distracted from what I was about to say. Either God is going to completely save us on his own or he's not going to save us at all. It has absolutely nothing to do with our ability. It is all God. This great love that God has for us, this desire that he has to save this world 
Jesus died for the sins of this world, right? We would, we would typically say that. But if Jesus died for all the sins of the world, then that means that everybody gets to go to heaven because their sins have been paid for. Of course, this is not scriptural in that there are people who will still be separated from God because of sin in their life and because they have not accepted this faith in Christ, right? So we have to really look at this passage now, understanding that our works or our actions come out of what has already happened in our lives, which is salvation. And now it's needing to change our perspective and how we view the world going forward. Starting in verse 11, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, We speak of what we know, and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe me. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. The issue of people rejecting Jesus' message is all due to how they are perceiving the situation. It's all about their perspective. Jesus here is speaking to a man named Nicodemus, and he's saying, look, Nicodemus, if you want to experience the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born both of water, and you must be born of spirit. And Nicodemus is confused, and he doesn't understand, and he's saying, well, I'm, I'm an old person now. How can, how can we go back and enter into our mother's womb and be born again? Jesus is like, ah, you're missing it. Bro, that's the new uh, heretical translation. He's like, bro, Nicodemus, look, you're not getting it. How are you going to understand this earthly tr- or this heavenly truth if you can't even get this earthly example? You see, his perspective needed to change. Let me give you an example in which I will get wrong in the story, but it's okay. Hopefully by the end you'll see where I was going with this. So there was uh, some people and they were asked to uh, write down a description of what they saw from something, right? And everyone was given uh, a description or a picture of the same, the same object. And at the end of it, you guys are all stumped by this, right? You're, you're looking at the slide intently, trying to figure out how exactly does that work, okay? I know. Just take some time. It's all right. Let me explain the rest of the story. So at the end, they all got together, and the person says, look, tell me the description of what you saw. And people are saying their description, and everyone's looking at the other person like they're crazy. And like, that's not what I saw at all. How, how, is, how is that that that's what you saw? And then they were shown the much larger picture, And it was an elephant, right? But each one of them had been given just a snippet of what this elephant looked like. And their descriptions, although were accurate, it did not give the whole picture to what this uh, full thing was, which was an elephant. Once they heard that it was an elephant, (laughs) heard, heard elephants? No? Okay. All right, thanks. I'll be here all week. So um, once they heard that it was all an elephant, uh, they were like, oh, that, now your description makes sense because their perspective changed. They knew what they were looking at. They came to understand the bigger picture. They understood their perspective changed. But it's confusing at times. We have to give up our old way of thinking 
and to shift into the way that God desires us to now perceive this world. Last week's sermon, I touched on Romans 12, 1 through 7, and in that description, the Apostle Paul says, look, you must have your mind become transformed. Your mind must become transformed. Your mind must become renewed. There must be a transformation that takes place in how you think. Now this brings into now you think. Now it's going to be on how your perspective in all things need to change as well. So this brings us into verse 14 through 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. When I was in Jordan last year uh, for my deployment, I had the opportunity to travel to the top of Mount Nebo at least 10 or 12 times. It was It was so many times that it was starting to get kind of lost on me at that point. But at the top of Mount Nebo, overlooking the land that God had promised the Israelites, the land that, the the place that God had taken Moses up to to see the promise that was going to take place for the people, there stands in a Muslim country a cross with a snake wrapped around it and Jesus on the cross. There it is, right? And if you notice, right, there's actually, it's not a cross. It's just him hanging like he's on a cross because the Muslims don't believe that Jesus actually died on the cross. It was somebody else. Interesting fact. There you go. So back to this. So on this bronze statue, which is quite massive, at the bottom is inscribed John chapter 3, verse 14. And this is in reference to... Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 through 9. The Hebrew people had been wandering in the desert. They had began complaining. They were complaining and grumbling to Moses saying, why did you bring us out to this place where there's no food and there's no water to kill us? Why would, you know, who is this God? And God got quite frustrated with the people and their grumbling and their contempt against him. And so these fiery serpents uh, come into the camp and they bite people with their, their poison. And a lot of people start dying. Now the people, their perspective changes. Oh, hey, you know, this, this, this whole God thing is, this, is true. Maybe we need to repent. Moses, please pray to God that he will forgive us. Pray to God that he would remove these snakes, that he would, that he would heal us. And so God does. And he says, look, Moses, I want you to fasten together a bronze staff and a bronze snake. And I want you to hold it up to the people. And whoever was bitten by one of these snakes can come and see this. And they won't die. In essence, then the people turn their eyes away from their imminent death. They were turning their eyes from what was going to be their mortality, and they changed their perspective and looked at what was going to bring them salvation. I don't think it's by accident that Jesus uses this instance from the Old Testament to hone in on this truth. He's saying, look, you can no longer look to those things that you thought could save you. You can no longer look to those areas that you used to, to bring you pleasure, enjoyment, or whatever. You need to have your eyes fixed on me. You must change your perspective now and have them fixed on me, and I am going to provide you salvation, which brings us into verse 16 through 18. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There was a shift now from the perspective of bringing death and judgment, and now God has physically entered into this world as Jesus Christ and is now saying, look, I'm not bringing condemnation. I'm not bringing judgment against this world. I'm bringing salvation. I'm bringing my grace. I'm bringing my love. I'm here to dwell with you and among you. You can't be looking at anything else. You can't be looking towards anything else. You've got to change your perspective. You've got to trust me in what I am telling you is true. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do and that you are now saved by faith through grace. There isn't anything that you can do to be good enough, to be worthy enough, to be saved. I am gracious and loving, and I'm going to save you. It's not based on works. This is not what the world tells you. You must work. You must do everything you possibly can to save yourself. And God is saying, it's all dependent on your belief. Have faith. And that is how you are going to receive salvation starting in verse 19 through 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Did you ever get afraid of the dark when you were little? Maybe some of you are still a little afraid of the dark now. Uh, When I was little, I used to imagine that the light coming in through the windows that was casting shadows from my drapes, like were monsters or ghosts lurking in the corners or that the pile of clothes on the floor was some monster there ready to grab me or the arm that was reaching underneath the bed grabbing my leg was really nothing more. No, I'm just kidding. There, there, there wasn't a leg. I, I told my kids about the feet people and because uh, they kept getting out of bed at night and I was like, oh, yeah, the feet people. And so like it terrified them for years. So... Um, If you ever want to hear the feet people story, let me know. Or if you don't want your kids to sleep at night, let me know. (laughs) But when I would turn on my light in my room, I would be able to see things for what they truly were. But there was no monsters. There was no ghosts lurking in the corners. There was no monsters hiding underneath my bed. The light exposed things and revealed the truth of the situation. Jesus is this light, and now he is brought into this world. Jesus is shining this light into this world. And now we have the light of Christ that's giving us new perspective on all things in this world. He's giving us the torch, the flashlight, 
uh, that is never going to be extinguished. And it's now exposing things for what they truly are. The darkness that we love so much and that people love so much instead of the light is difficult, right? We, we avoid the light. Sometimes, in, in, and in this passage, Jesus is saying, look, people avoid the light. They, they hide from it because their evil deeds will be shown for what they are. Because sneaking around in our darkness allows us to do things in secret. Allows us to kind of scheme, to make us think that we're actually getting away with something, right? Nobody's going to see us, right? Certainly God's not going to see what we're doing in this darkness. Have you ever wondered why casinos and, and, and strip clubs and bars don't have windows in them? Or grocery stores, why they don't have windows in them? You know, like grocery stores. <laughs> but have you noticed, you know, grocery stores don't have windows either? I don't know. It's just... Yeah, Walmart has some uh, skylights, right? But uh, it, I just threw that out there. Yeah, just make sure you're all paying attention. But there's a reason why there's no windows allowing natural sunlight to come in to some of those places, right? Because things done in darkness, things that uh, typically would create uh, maybe addiction or dependency or some unsavory other acts um, is done in darkness, Because to have light to go and shine into those areas of our lives is sometimes pretty offensive. It shows things for what they really are. And the light comes in the darkness, and the darkness has no place to hide. You see, light cannot exist where there is darkness, and darkness cannot exist where there is light. The reason why people are often so offended by Jesus and his words and by some Christians is because people, in, the, in view of who Christ is, are given a mirror to look at. And they are forced to evaluate their lives. We are forced to evaluate our own lives and how they might or might not reflect the goodness of God. And there it is. It's a bright, shining light going on a mirror looking, we're able to look right at ourselves. And sometimes we don't like what we see. Sometimes we don't like what we see. Sometimes other people, I wouldn't say you guys here, right? Because you're all perfect, right? You've all figured it out. You don't need to hear the sermon, right? But uh, I'm talking about the other people, okay? Those, those other people out there. People want to deny it. They don't want to accept it. They attack Christians physically, verbally, We bring this good news that Jesus has come to save, has offered a new way of living, a new way of understanding, a new perspective than which they can have salvation. And it's met with hostility because it forces people into making a decision about their lives. Either they can accept that their lives are not reflecting the goodness of God or they need to surrender to what they have been doing because of God or they can choose to just keep on living however they're going to want to live and deny that it actually exists. It's much easier to deny something as truth so that it keeps us living exactly the way we want to. It's like, well, that's, that's your truth. That's not my truth. You know why people say that? It's because if they were to actually accept the truth of Jesus Christ, it would force them to have to live differently. And so, of course, It can't be true for them. It's the ostrich effect, you know? Just put your head in the ground and pretend that nothing else around you is there. 
But it requires now this change in perspective that Jesus is bringing, requires a conscious decision on all of our parts to honestly evaluate are our lives on a trajectory of pleasing God or are our lives on a trajectory of displeasing to God? Are we moving closer to Christ? Are we moving away from Christ? John 15 Verse 18 and 19, Jesus says, Look, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to this world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. When you walk in darkness for a long time, it is easy to stay in that path because it's familiar, it's comfortable. But the same is true for living in the light. The longer that you live in the light, the easier it is to have your perspective change and start seeing things for what they really are. This new perspective that God is giving us here. It means not only changing our perspectives, but now the filter that we use in which we perceive all of the world around us. It means that the old way of thinking changes in light of Christ. It means depending on this light of Christ to shine truth into every area of this world. We must begin to move away from this idea, this notion that we have to be good enough to be saved, that we have to be okay with God in order to be saved. We have to be okay in order to receive God's love and grace in our lives, that we have to work for it. This is what the world tells us we must do to receive love, to receive grace, to receive whatever. We have to be the ones that work for it. And Jesus is saying you must change this idea now and you must accept the fact that you are saved through faith by grace. It doesn't depend on your ability. It depends completely on God. It means that we must recognize that although we are fallen individuals in this world, God's love and grace is more powerful and will redeem us and will provide us new life. Because God has bestowed that on us. And since we have a new way of seeing things through the eyes of Christ, and since Christ has made a change in us, making us a new creation, then we must recognize that our lives ought to start reflecting God. That our lives must begin to have an outward change, that the inward work that Christ does in our lives should now, we should start expecting an outward change as well. And sometimes this process for us takes a while. This new way of thinking, this new perspective, this new way of behaving is a lifelong process. Do I dare sometimes, do I dare say that sometimes it takes a couple of weeks Months, years, decades, a lifetime. That God is wanting to change us, his, his transformation in us. Sometimes for us that is a process. But we keep moving into that trajectory that Christ has called us into. Knowing that yes, although we have not reached perfection, that we keep striving because God is good and his grace abounds. 
And so we will not keep our eyes on the things that have trapped us, that have ensnared us, that have enslaved us, these things that this world has offered to us. We let those things go and we allow God's grace to move through us. And because of that faith, because of that grace, that inward transformation, and now the outward transformation begins happening. So I want to close with this. For God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. God loved this world. He came into this world and he gave us himself. His self-sacrifice becoming an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's a powerful thing because of his love, his great love. He came into this light, shining into this life, this world. And some people didn't like it because it exposed an area in their life that they wanted to hold on to. Some of them denied it. Some of them rejected it. Some of them accepted it, that their life needed to be changed. And so I thank God. I thank God that he is gracious and loving and that he gives me a second, third, 438th chance to change. That his love continues to stay with me and he stays with you. And that he is offering you salvation today. If you haven't experienced that saving power of Christ in your life, if you don't know that you can have assurance that you can have eternity with Christ this morning, you can have it. You can be set free and your life can start reflecting the goodness of the God that is living in you. Do you want it this morning? Let's pray. God, as we continue to press into you each and every day, we recognize that there is a mirror and a bright shining light that gives us perspective, not only in how we are living our lives, but God, how you are giving us a new filter in which to see this world, that everything that we have, everything that we are, now needs to be viewed through your lens. Thank you for your grace, your mercy and love. Thank you that you showed up and that you gave us a way to experience a new life, a life that is meant with so much better if we're just willing to let go of our past, if we're just allowing you to shine those light into those areas in our lives that need to change. So help us as we move into those changes now and forever. Amen.